Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Blue Mountain Village Voices. Hello and welcome to Blue Mountain Village Voices. On this episode, we chatted with Rosalind Morrison, Chair of the Institute of Southern Georgian Bay and Director on the Blue Mountain Village Foundation. Rosalind really does challenge us to think differently. We had a great conversation about business resilience. We talked about organizations move toward co-creation. We talked a lot about arts and culture and the real potential for an economic boom in our community. And we talked about how community goals can actually become investment opportunities. This is a really great conversation with lots of great ideas. Hi, Rosalind. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Andrew. It is a pleasure to be here. Whenever we uh, have conversations with guests, I always like to ask one consistent question, and that is, what brought you and your family to the Town of Blue Mountains, South Georgian Bay region? Uh, I would have to answer uh, my ancestors. (laughs) (laughs) We have a, a long history here, centuries long, actually, in the Southern Georgian Bay area, uh, in particular on the sort of east coast of the bay, if you if you will, all through La Fontaine and Penetang, uh, Midland Victoria Harbor, down to Glencairn. My uh, aunt and uncle were uh, farmers in Glencairn. And so we would cottage here, rent cottages uh, all the time in the summer. It just seemed like a very natural place to then say, this is going to be our home. I think it's an experience that so many people share. And I think anyone who's been fortunate to have that cottaging experience, particularly when you're younger, there's something about that in your formative years that is a real calling card, isn't it? It really does draw you back and and create great memories. You know, anytime I spend on the shale beach, uh, right uh, in Craig Lee here, it <laughs> just brings me back to my childhood. So it's um, it's a really lovely circle where, you know, all of our kids now um, um, uh, spend time with us uh, when, when they can. And uh, and we, we get to share all the wonderful things uh, about uh, the beautiful region of Southern Georgian Bay. And I think such fortune for all of us here, because I think what that also drives is uh, individuals like yourself who really want to take care of the community and, and act as stewards. And I think that that leads us really well to your work with the Institute of Southern Georgian Bay. I've known about the organization for quite some time, and you and I have worked together. One of the mottos that is right front and center on your website, which I've always loved, is you refer to yourselves as a think and do tank. Right. It says so much about what you're trying to achieve as an organization. I'm wondering if you could just give us a bit of an overview of what the Institute of Southern Georgian Bay is and and what you're trying to achieve. It's a group of uh, dedicated people who are really, as you said, wanting to steward the present and the future um, so that we are able to have a sustainable future uh, in this area. We want economic prosperity. We want social prosperity. We want environmental prosperity. Uh, It's an interconnected, holistic view 
of what we can all do and what we can learn and what we can do better to ensure that from generations onwards, um, people still enjoy the same beauty that has attracted all of us to to stay and make this our home. So the Institute was uh, incorporated in 2015, and there uh, was a series of dinner dialogues to try to ascertain what the level of interest would be for people to come together across many municipalities. So uh, the kinds of things that we're looking for are completely interconnected across the Southern Georgian Bay area. It can stretch all the way up to Owen Sound, all the way up to Midland and Penetang and Victoria Harbor. Um, But there are primarily six municipalities that have come on board to help support our programming. Um, It really got uh, kicked off in 2018 with a community innovation day. That is when we started to look at innovation as a model, as a method, as a process to be working in a different different way and collaborating together so that we can have these newer ideas come forward to ensure um, prosperity on on all of those interconnected spheres. So we've just grown um, actually through COVID. It's really illustrated to us the power of uh, virtual and it's enabled people to spend time together that might not have been able to come together previously as easily. And it certainly accelerated that development of social capital so that we get to know each other better, uh, we get to uh, learn together, and then co-create the kinds of initiatives that we are going to collaborate on. I love that you you mentioned that focus on innovation uh, as being central to the core, and then you kind of closed with co-create. And I think that's probably one of the biggest innovations that your group is driving right now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, it's through um, research and um, understanding shared knowledge from around the world. Innovation hubs, innovation labs are growing because of the 21st century is throwing challenges at us that we've never faced before. So the old uh, ways of thinking and the old ways of even learning and the old ways of doing need to be evolved so that you get much better, stronger, more sustainable ideas by having a great diversity of people and ideas at the table. And really the process of innovating is to hold the tension of that dialogue, that conversation, that learning, to be able to imagine what could be a much better solution for dealing with the issues that we're facing. Well, and the three that you you mentioned, which are, of course, sort of uh, economic, social, and environmental. I mean, many times those are at odds with each other or have in the past been at odds with each other in terms of the way we're thinking. So I'd imagine in order to solve all those, you really do have to, you know, break down the barriers of, of old, old thinking. What can you give us some examples of maybe old ways of thinking that, that have kept us in that paradigm? Well, I think it's looking at things in each singularity. So let me give you an example of um, the issue of uh, labor force shortages. Mm -hmm. Perfect one. (laughs) People would look at that and they would say, oh, um, well, you know, we have to do this or that or whatever. Uh, Rarely were there discussions around the interconnections between our labor force between the amenities to attract talent, Mm -hmm. between the housing stock availability, 
between the environmental um, uh, 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 stewardship so that that next generation that we want to either retain or attract um, uh, feels that they can bring up their families here, that they have the lifestyle they want, um, uh, they have the services they're looking for. So it's never one thing anymore. And that's why more investment upfront in terms of dialoguing and learning together is so important. People will often say, hey, I'm an action person. I want action and I want results tomorrow. And uh, that's terrific, me too. And we have to figure (laughs) out that the new action is often just having this kind of dialogue and getting to know each other better. Um, We were able in one of our events this year to bring chief administration officers from across the region together for the very first time. Yeah, I heard about that. That's incredible. And that in and of itself is, is a new paradigm, isn't it? That's a great example of what you're doing things differently, getting those folks together. And how did it go? Were they, was, it a, was it productive, interesting, any insights that you learned? Well, first of all, I think that they um, really appreciated being brought together. Often we will have platforms where mayors can share their views, and that's important. And as important is ensuring that staff uh, at the various municipalities um, have have a platform as well. So I think that they enjoyed being invited. I think that they enjoyed meeting each other. And what I uh, thought was extraordinary was the level of honesty Mm. that was shared. And we asked them to talk about the, the pressing issues that they're facing as chief administration officers and how they might be approaching those with their staff or their newfound colleagues across the region. So we hope that we're able to continue um, the kinds of events that we're having um, and the kinds of reports that we're producing that will help influence the agenda uh, for, as an example, the new mayors, uh, regional mayors and CAOs um, panel that is happening, uh, influence the upcoming United Nations uh, Collingwood World Summit around the Sustainable Development Goals and begin looking at things differently because to the point you made earlier, Andrew, social, uh, environmental and um, economic uh, prosperities actually complement each other very well. I think we learned through COVID when we started talking about a business recovery plan, I just suggested well, perhaps we should think about an equal investment in the not-for-profit sector because we're all realizing how dependent we are on our health services right now. It's those interconnections that people haven't sort of put together much before. And so if we can do that in sort of an orchestrated way, I think that we will accelerate our progress um, and build a different recovery, actually build back better is the terminology that we started using very early on. And every political party since then seems to be using it. But (laughs) it's really from um, the work that I did on um, resilience and um, cities around the world who knew that we were going to be facing um, much greater challenges. Um, The whole um, idea about resilience was supported through the Rockefeller Foundation, New York City, after Hurricane Sandy. So we're learning with these huge crises how to approach things differently so that we are building back better, we are thinking differently, and we are doing it with a very long view. It's so insightful, and I think it's a great way to look at events and experiences like this is that there's things that we can learn 
We can challenge ourselves to do things differently and it prepares us for the next time. But you're right. Learning and planning is, is long-term, but so is the process to get there. I think, I think you're really right to highlight that. I think it's a very good point. It's an upfront investment, but the payoff is bigger and faster if you do that upfront investment. You know, I'm curious to get your read on how the business community responded during COVID-19 and if you have any advice for them on on what they might uh, be looking at with that philosophy in mind to be more resilient. Well, there's a few things that come to mind immediately. And um, and again, it comes back to the prosperity of, of social, economic and environmental um, complement each other very well. And so with business, traditional businesses perhaps experienced greater issues than those businesses that were able to be flexible, nimble, pivot more quickly, uh, reach out to other sectors, reach out to other former competitors um, and do things differently. So what we're seeing is a real emphasis now on businesses that understand that their talent pool wants a better future. And so there are some businesses that are becoming social enterprises. And of course, that is where business and nonprofit social economic environmental value is brought together. Social enterprises are popping up over Southern Georgian Bay, as are B corporations. And so those are corporations that, again, are looking at the sustainable development goals, choosing specific indicators with their teams and saying, you know what, we can do better. And um, and it's going to provide a better future for our clients, our customers, our, our employees, our families. And I think that's exciting. Those transitions and evolutions of of how we see the different sectors, those lines are blurring and the benefits and the value that that blurring of lines and that open thinking does is going to and could make us a destination for a new way of looking at business. Is there a barrier, do you think? Do you often hear from companies or, or organizations who will say, I just, I'm struggling just to get done what I normally get done. I can't quite figure out how to get there. Is that a common? Always. Yeah. Always. And <laughs> over time, um, I mean, I, I said the same thing. I've had many different careers. I started in business and horticulture. I went through that whole management stream. I, and then I shifted into um, arts and culture um, because I have a design background. I know for a fact that um, arts businesses in particular, um, but this is any kind of business, we're in the trenches. We're just trying to get the day-to-day stuff Mm -hmm. done. And we do not uh, provide ourselves enough time to take care of ourselves, uh, nor to carve out the time for strategizing or for continual learning. And I think that, you know, it was um, a professor at the University of Toronto. I was taking a business course and um, her specialty was resilience. And she came in and she shared with the class at at the Rotman School of Business um, that if we do take care of ourselves, as an example, and exercise, just say 20 minutes a day, our productivity levels started to soar. And so these are the things that we, we need to explore. We need to test them out because the pressure of just surviving is intense. I understand that 
And I've learned the hard way that unless we carve out the strategy time, uh, we find ourselves hitting a wall. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You, your advice is we, we have to carve out that time. And we see in other aspects of our lives where that brings us benefits, Think of, you know, the new year, everyone wants to drop a few pounds or get in shape. So they download a Strava app or they buy a Fitbit and they, they see, they carve out a little bit of time and they see the results. Right. And I think on this resiliency journey or carving out time for, for strategy and uh, learning, it's figuring out how to do it in a way, learn from those other aspects of your life so that you can get the feedback and, and measure it. Have you seen any examples where different or maybe even in your own personal career where you've been able to how have you been able to measure that so that you keep yourself motivated to do that? I think uh, with with my various staff teams over time, I would um, have these discussions with them. I would measure the results of recommending that each of them, it didn't matter what level they were at, to put in the strategy time. Give yourself a couple of hours on Friday to put in the strategy time and to develop the foresight and reach out in the learning and the networking to get us to the next level. And so the results uh, were that we could actually do many more initiatives with the same level of staff because we were coming together and we were connecting everything. And we were saying, hey, you know, that can complement this and let's connect that. But we, we wouldn't be able to do that unless individually we were thinking things through and then collectively coming together to strategize together and to co-create those connections. Yeah. So as the leader, you you made it your mission to carve out the space and encourage the rest of your team to do so and then follow up. Very smart. I'm looking at Sydney here and we're going to, we're going to make a commitment to each other and the rest of the team. We're going to try, we're going to try it. We're going to let you know how it goes. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> and with strategizing in particular. That's right. Yeah. We, uh, Andrew talks a lot about strategy and I definitely understand how important it is, but like you said, it, you have to carve out that time. Otherwise it just a week passes, then another week passes and you That's just right. get caught up. So yeah. it's a little hard, but it's, I understand how important it is. Well, I like what you said. 20 minutes in a 20 minutes in a week is doable. And over 52 weeks of the year, that's a lot of time. And to even unpack strategy and what does that mean anyway, mm -hmm. is, is a great exercise for, for the staff team, right? Because most of us, if we're feeling stressed, you know, we would rather have the checklist of the stuff on our list and do it. And I get that. 
<laughs> um, so strategy is more like chin-ups. Mm. <laughs> they, they take a little bit more and we might not know how to do them very well. And so, so it is a learning process to learn about strategy, to learn what does that mean anyway, and then to practice it. Mm-hmm. Get stronger over time. That's it. Great advice. Thank you for that. I, re- I really appreciate that, that insight and, and that, that expertise you bring on resiliency. It's, it's really important. And we're really lucky that you're, you're in the community helping us all figure that out. And we're going to talk a little bit about some networks that you've set up on that front. But before we get there, uh, I want to congratulate you on the launch of the, the Institute's new Power of Arts and Culture report. It's basically a strategy for the South Georgian Bay. And uh, you're really, you're, you're putting some of what we've been talking about in action and sort of cr- creating this uh, arts and culture strategy for the region. So I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about it. So, you know, you have to sort of look back and, and understand the process of how these things come together, because in large part, the action that, that takes place is bringing people together, uh, convening people, facilitating those discussions, having people get to know each other, having the inspiration by looking at other success stories from various jurisdictions it is helpful to give us the confidence and the hope that we can do something that perhaps has been talked about for a long time, but we just never got there. And so really in large part, it started at the end of uh, 2019, where we were able to bring, I think about 60 people together from the four major sectors I mentioned. And that's another thing about arts and culture, right? There is no point in, in not bringing all of the sectors together because we are all benefiting arts and culture. And in particular, I think that's, a, that's another, if you can say good things come out of COVID. <laughs> One of the good things that came out of COVID was this realization that even if we thought we weren't an arts and culture person, we watched a lot of Netflix. Mm-hmm. And that's a great example to illustrate to people that a healthy arts ecosystem enables that kind of thing to come into being. Uh, with, uh, you know, um, cultivating creativity, having uh, investment in in our creative sector. That event happened in um, the Marsh Street Centre in Clarksburg or Artsburg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 60 people from four, four different sectors came together. And it was a really great story because we had people from Midland talking about how the Midland Cultural Centre and a whole regional alliance came together around arts and culture there. We had the story of the Halliburton School of the Arts shared with us and how just six people started with that idea. And not only the creative impact it has for the region of Halliburton, but the economic impact and all all the various um, other businesses that have developed around the area and just a great vibe for that region. We also um, had stories about the challenges that some of our major arts groups are facing here and what we needed to be thinking about and doing. And so that group, we sort of did a quick, um, you know, poll and uh, through the Q&A at the end of the event that came collectively up with 10 things we thought needed to happen. And then COVID hit early in the next year. 
And so we pivoted as the Institute to go online with our events and continue discussions. And honestly, it was attracting people from other areas uh, to help us, in particular, Liz Reichert and Marilyn Struthers, who have deep histories in innovation, strategy development, understanding the interconnections of things really inspired us to go online and, and, and to do it in a way that was exhausting <laughs> to keep the momentum up. <laughs> and so um, we had a whole series called Mapping Our Road to Recovery as each of the municipalities was building their own recovery system. We put the arts right smack in the center of the, the series. Again, had a conversation about all of the data that was starting to show up about the impact of a healthy arts and culture ecosystem and how it ensured uh, well-being, how it ensured economic development, how it ensured um, having a more creative community and a more connected community that understood its various identities. And so uh, from there, people put up their hand to start working on the strategy. Uh, over the course of the fall and uh, last year and the winter this year, a group of probably a dozen people formed a core group and a se another series of four events happened to um, engage a couple of hundred people in developing the strategy. And so that's what I mean by co-creation. You need to bring that diversity of people, that diversity of sectors, and have people build it together so that people then uh, are willing to take a piece of it and, and help lead other groups forward on that strategy. And the big things that came out of that were uh, the importance of developing a regional arts network. Like, surprisingly, we don't have one that is multidisciplinary, and that is across the region. The second one was to look at almost like a local marketing campaign. Instead of always thinking about tourists, Arts and culture are integral to our own health and well-being as, you know, the 100,000 residents in this big area. And so let's look at that kind of branding and that kind of local marketing in a way that is collective and then builds off one another. And then the, the third piece was around digital asset mapping. Midland Cultural uh, Alliance is doing this online. And what it does for people is it basically starts to visualize for them the depth and breadth and richness of the arts community, not uh, only individual artists, but understanding there are many organizations that then serve artists and engage with artists. There are many businesses related that do that. And so, uh, you know, it starts to illustrate the depth and then to be able to say, you know what, we actually need to pay more attention to our investments here. Because what we, what we need is to invest in a healthy arts and culture ecosystem across the region. And then we will be able to leverage all that talent up, attract new talent, professional development, opportunities that we hadn't even imagined before. So that's, that's the concept. It's brilliant. And I, I think one of the aha moments that you've presented today that maybe people haven't thought of, but we, when we think of our region and we think about who finds it above and beyond our, our residents and local community, you know, visitors come here uh, for our arts and culture, 
Uh, and it's just as important as our landscape and our environment. And I would argue it's probably very similar in terms of impact. And it has a meaning not just for visitors, but for the, the community. And it has an economic benefit and an outcome. When I think of what we do here just in Blue Mountain Village, and I think of all the arts organizations, partners, artists that we work with every day on, on so many different levels. I noticed in your, um, in your report, you, ha- you talked about all the different cultural activities and you, you indicated design arts. And it made me think of our, the real estate sector. Real estate is booming in South Georgian Bay and the design arts community is a really big part of that. And is it being cultivated in the way to, to, to truly run on all cylinders. So I think it's really interesting, really interesting points. Well, if we connect it and build that network, then, you know, your, your metaphor running on all cylinders is going to happen. That's right. People have an opportunity to get involved with that network. People can read about that report by going to the Institute's website at www.tisgb.com and going to the report section. It's listed in our 2021 reports. And I think that you'll be hearing, and I'd like to give thanks to Susan Cook of the Blue Mountain Foundation of the Arts, one of the co-chairs, as is Dean Holland, who we know as an actor and entertainer um, and singer, and uh, Stuart Reed, who is the um, executive director of the Community Foundation of Great Bruce, who are the co-chairs of that strategy. And now to take that strategy forward, Susan Cook will be looking for uh, people who have been involved so far or new people who are willing to lead different sections of it. And that's what a network is about. It's about uh, collective leadership where people are taking small pieces. And when you bring them together and you bring those people together, then the bigger pieces can, um, can be done much more effectively. So it, it's about opening up space for anyone who wants to, has an interest in, has capacity for. It's decentralized. It's not about any one person controlling the destiny it's about the institute cultivating an environment where everyone can come together and help it grow which i think is transformative we'll make sure to include the links in the show notes and and we'll share it with those who are who can who can participate and i think i'll change my um metaphor from running on all cylinders to perhaps running on all battery cells (laughs) keeping (laughs) keeping sustainability in mind Can you share some specifics? You talked about some of the challenges that the arts and culture community have faced over the last little while. I wonder if you can kind of share a few of those. Like what what are the things that are most impacting the arts and culture community right now? Well, I don't think there's any um, overarching infrastructure. You know, there are lots of regions that have networks. There are lots of regions that have arts councils. There are lots of regions that have multidisciplinary connectors. Uh, significant globally inspired professional development conferences and gatherings where like there's so much talent here all of the things that I've just described in terms of infrastructure if you will social infrastructure are are things that are important that um, many artists depend on and we just you know haven't done that here yet is it fair to say the talent is here? The experiences are here. It's just maybe not as well known as it could be. The talent here is extraordinary. 
pre-COVID opportunities for everyone to see that talent and for the artists themselves to share that talent were abundant. Uh, I think what we've learned through COVID is that um, we don't have any mechanism to provide social supports to artists. We don't have any mechanisms to provide the kinds of supports that artists need beyond their artistic work. It's not that there aren't some available. We just need to connect them, shine a light on them and create the ones that we don't have here yet. And, you know, I thought a lot about artists and our artist community during the COVID response, particularly with things like small business grants and supports, because a lot of businesses that could demonstrate that they have employees or other, you know, rent to pay, you know, they, they could qualify depending on a number of factors for some supports. But, you know, if you're an independent contractor and an artist and you, you're working on your own, and there are many who work that way, it was very hard to find the kinds of programming. So I, I'm fully aligned with you. I think part of shining a light on it is also making more people aware of the, the types of structures that arts and culture businesses are formed in so that we can support them, invest in them and help them grow. Yes. And, and just basically understand the why for that uh, case for support. And that's what, you know, it, it, the, the data section in the, in the uh, strategy that was just released is uh, rich. <laughs> and it's rich because, you know, it, there, there's a lot of research that supports um, investment. Resiliency, as you talked about at the beginning, there's an initiative that you've been working on that I think fully explains what you mean by think and do. And that is a network that you created around social finance and social uh, finance learnings. You've created a network of of individuals from all different spheres to come together on a regular basis to talk about how to raise capital, how to do it in a different way, and how to innovate in social finance. And I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about what that network is doing and and maybe some of the lessons learned so far. So social finance is a set of tools and mechanisms that are, you know, relatively new and very new for a lot of people. <laughs> Marilyn Struthers, who I mentioned earlier, was kind enough when um, we had our uh, social innovation event at the end of 2019. Um, she wrote a report. It's in our it's in our report section for that year. But the following year, she wrote uh, social finance primer. It's just a two pager and it's beautifully written and uh, really easy to understand. It's on our website. Basically, it begins to talk about um, these tools and mechanisms. So we talked a little bit about a whole section uh, earlier in our conversation around social enterprise, where business starts to meet social value and economic value. And how do we um, uh, nurture uh, a healthy ecosystem for social enterprise. That is one whole section of social finance. Um, so it's um, in, in, in addition to having uh, an investment uh, in new businesses that may come to this region who might do X, Y, and Z, let's look at the specificity of these new kinds of social enterprises who are business, social, uh, environmental, 
integrated um, that can really help to benefit our region and also our great attractors for the next generation to work for. That's one section um, in this quick primer. Another example is looking at things like a tool, like community bonds. And this is where different companies issue bonds, governments issue bonds, and it's basically, you know, individuals buy the bonds that produce this pool of money, capital, that can be invested in different ways. And so there are lots of examples where community bonds have been used to, uh, as an example, build community centers or art galleries where, you know, people would say, geez, we just can't afford that. And that line is the 20th century line. It's no longer applicable. There is a lot of money in the world. And so what we need to be smart about is to figure out what kind of fund could we create for what purpose and we could issue community bonds for, people would get a decent return on their investment and there would be a matrix of other check marks beyond just the profit. And there's a whole range of people who would go, wow, that's a great idea. Sign me up. So, you know, when we think about these things, we're now exploring with this social finance learning group. Like we're, I'm amazed um, that uh, Marilyn Struthers, who is leading this group, you know, we've got municipal counselors, we've got business leaders, philanthropists, not-for-profit leaders. Um, it started with 14. We're now well over 20 and meeting bi-weekly. Like this is a, a commitment um, to learn about this new stuff and to say, wow, could we use community bonds for accelerating new housing builds? You know, so that's what we're looking at now. And you will see that the Institute will be having um, more events in our sustainable future. We had five before the summer um, on these kinds of ideas. How do we unpack the current, um, there's a term called financialization of the housing market, where a small percentage of people benefit, to look at changing the system, bringing in new capital, and doing it in ways where we can address some of the interconnected issues I spoke about earlier about the labor force. For sure. And so, you know, this group is, it, it's, it's a fascinating group. There are many more um, tools uh, listed in this social finance primer, which I encourage uh, people to learn about because, you know, when, when, you know, we're thinking about investments in our RSP, there are other opportunities than just, you know, securities and the equity markets where we can all, and this is a great line that this group has taken, whatever money we spend, lend, or invest gives us the world we have. So we have to think about the world we want and then adjust our spending, lending, and investing accordingly so that we get way more check marks at the end of the day. There's much more value, um, but it does take thinking and learning time up front. It sounds easy. So why would something like a community bond strategy, let's say it's an, an art center or an attainable housing project, why are they not coming to market faster? What are the barriers to some of those brilliant strategies? Well, I, I think honestly, a lot of people have no idea they're there. Right. Uh, they, they haven't encountered them before. We know what we know. 
And we need to cultivate a society where, you know, we, we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> so let's learn. <laughs> Exactly. Look for new ideas. And the best place is when you can plug into a network where the ideas are flying, right? Absolutely. You talked about our sustainable future, five of seven sessions. And I know we've talked about a number of the initiatives, but uh, is there anything else you want to highlight? Is there anything more on the environmental sustainability side or other aspects that that you're working on? Yeah, it's it's, again, um, the environment is, you know, people get ruffled talking about the environment <laughs> and uh and it's it's not that um ruffling really when you unpack things um and when you see the interconnections of things and when you see the value of being able to create an economic base that actually benefits from stewardship of the environment those two worlds come together and it's just pausing again to understand that and to see where the success stories are across many jurisdictions. So the Sustainable Future series was inspired by the Lieutenant Governor. Elizabeth Dowdswell, uh, the Lieutenant Governor of Ontario, came to Collingwood in early 2020 because uh, Collingwood, and I think Collingwood is thinking the region, said, you know, we want to become a model for achieving the sustainable development goals. There are 17 goals. You can Google uh, sustainable development goals. And these 17 goals are audacious in their goals. They're achievable if we all collectively worked on them. Uh, They are interconnected. So if we work on one of the 17, we're going to benefit three other ones. Um, So if we work on a housing issue, and we talk about, you know, could new housing builds be built sustainably? Could we use social enterprises to help build them locally? Could we, like, there's a lot of ways that we get additional value on any of our initiatives. And so we thought, well, let's talk about the sustainable development goals that Canada and 192 other uh, United Nations countries signed on to in 2015. There are a series of milestones to achieve by 2030. So, you know, it breaks it down to uh, audacious goals, to roadmap milestones that actually are achievable if we're collectively willing to work together and go through some periods where we might not understand the benefit immediately, or we might get frustrated because we want action on them right now. But I think the bottom line with this series and uh, all of the recordings are on our website under our events section and notes will be put up soon that these things are, we're able to do them. And I think that there's enough collective appetite, especially with the next generation, to roll up our sleeves, think differently, work together, uh, share resources, and accelerate progress on them. So that's what that series is all about. It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and again, we'll, we'll share the links to all of those um, recorded sessions. I, I would imagine that looking ahead over the next five years... There's a lot that you are, are thinking about in terms of what you need uh, and what you're looking for. What do you want the community to know about what the Institute is looking to achieve in the next five years? What, what resources are, you, are, you, are most critical to you right now? Well, you're preempting an important discussion we're having in October, um, which is a strategy session because we've all been very busy with our lists. Yeah, yeah. We know now, I think pre-COVID, 
with the concept of working regionally, people would nod their heads and go, oh, I think that might be a good idea. Not sure. Um, But through COVID, people understand that we need to count on each other and we are interdependent uh, within this region uh, in particular. And so, you know, we've moved from subscribing to our newsletter with about 150 people to uh, 250 people in 2020 to over 500 now. Amazing. And so uh, I would say first and foremost, subscribe to the newsletter. It's easy to do on our homepage. The second thing is, is take a look, you know, carve out some time on a Saturday with your coffee and, and just go through the various events and the reports. Um, and we, we want to, um, in terms of resources, be able to um, evolve our website so it's easier to dive into these resources. Uh, we want to have more people engaged on our uh, design teams, our working groups, our learning groups. We want more people to join as members so that we have the resources to be able to build a communications platform more effectively. We want more people from across the region to become involved. If we do all of that, the ideas that people are percolating will become reality. And so we will move into that part of the action. So expanding the network, connecting to more members of the community. Do you have more local, everyday kind of full-time residents participating? Are you getting traction with people who might be here more part-time or, uh, you know, maybe they live in a couple of different locations? Have you seen a sort of growth in that cohort yet? Well, there's lots of full-time people involved. We're also seeing uh, in real time shifts from part-time people uh, living here permanently. Um, And so when we see these shifts take place, we're going to have to think differently because think about it. You know, if if people had a part-time residence here and they're living here now permanently, they're still paying the same amount of property tax. However, the services required to service people are going to grow are going to grow. So, you know, um, that's why regional uh, committees to attract doctors uh, are being formed. As you probably all read, people are needed in every line of work. You know, we, we really do need to depend on each other, get to know each other, carve out some time to, to work together on, on things. And, um, and I think that when we have this strategy session, which will come just after the second United Nations Collingwood World Summit, which will take place October 7th and 8th of this year online. I encourage everyone to take a peek at the agenda and to um, see what time they can commit to to carving out on some sessions. Um, We're going to strategize right after that. Look at what we've learned through our social finance group, through our sustainable future group, and through what the artists and arts organizations um, and businesses think that could be helpful to to them. And so uh, we will come back to you and let you know what probably a two-year plan looks like. Um, The world is changing so quickly that a five-year plan almost seems naive to put together. (laughs) That's another example of old thinking, new thinking, right? It's it's very different. Well, uh, I can't wait to see what uh, the team comes up with. I'm so really inspired by the achievements that you and your colleagues have, have made happen. You're creating such great thought leadership and content for for us all. And I think it it really should 
give people a sense of momentum, innovation, and another example of why our community is so, so great. So uh, anything we can do to help, Rosalind, you, please let me know. And uh, congratulations to yourself uh, as chair. I know this is a, a, a huge volunteer effort, but the passion that you bring, we all benefit from. So uh, on behalf of all of us here uh, and in the, across the whole community, thank you for all, all the work that you do and, and the time that you put in and the thoughtfulness. It's... um. It's really something. Well, thanks, Andrew. It's really a privilege. It, it does take a village. And, uh, it does. And so, you know, let's all get engaged. Uh, and uh, collectively, we will make a much uh, stronger future. Thanks for listening to Blue Mountain Village Voices, a production of the Blue Mountain Village Association. For more, go to bluemountainvillage.ca. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com.